of all Champions League goalkeepers I've seen, and Carrius included, what about the fellow in the goal for Villarreal? Carrius included is the worst thing any Liverpool <laughs> fan can say. That's the harshest. Well, Carrius was hopeless, wasn't he? OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Brian O'Driscoll on Off The Ball with Vodafone. We all belong to the team of us. All right, Brian, good morning to you. How are you? Hey, Ger, what's going on? Uh, this is one of those exciting weekends where uh, the big European games are here and there's a couple of them and the rest of the season could go one of two ways. It could go tits up or it could go amazingly well. And I'd say if you're a Munster fan, you're feeling it. But if you're a Leinster fan, it's just a little bit of nerves and you're feeling a little bit like we really got screwed over by COVID because we should be at home. Uh, as the best team in the competition, so let's not let's not lose it now. Yeah, yeah. I think. Listen, we got a flavour of it in the football during the week. What's going to happen with that Man City team now? How what will their reaction be like? And I guess it's it's no different in rugby. You see what happened to Ulster with losing by you know that one point margin in the round of sixteen, and then going out and losing at home to Munster the following weekend. It's a bit of a hangover left over. So. It does feel inevitable. It's mentally very challenging to kind of pick yourself up from a defeat like a European quarterfinal, any defeat at all in Europe, because it remains the pinnacle competition for us, the main focus, what you judge your season on. And, um, and having, obviously, the two Irish teams in it with pretty juicy fixtures, difficult fixtures, um, both of them, it'll be very interesting to see what the reaction is you know on the back of a potential disappointment next week you know whether they're able to pick themselves up but I feel I feel quietly positive I, I really do I think I you know I, I think Munster have really showed signs to feel confident about them again um, that they're going in the right direction will they have learned from last year's defeat to Toulouse I think they will I think defensively they've been incredibly good and then I just think Leinster have to win it this year. So, you know, they're they're if they can play how we, you know, how we've seen them in parts this season. I just don't think any team in the competition is able to deal with that. Any even the best teams, even La Rochelle, even Racing. I just think their the level of intensity has been at another level than we've seen in European rugby for some time. This is really an Ireland team at this stage with a, a couple of exceptions. So the Leinster team, as named, is, uh, as you'd expect, the, the front row, Andrew Porter, Ronan Kelleher, Ty Furlong. It's Ross Maloney and James Ryan in the second row. James Ryan obviously might be a little bit short of match practice, but we, we've seen him come back from uh, layoffs before and been really good. And then the back row is Caelan Doris, Josh van der Fleer and Jack Conan. It's an incredibly strong pack. And if this was an Ireland pack in New Zealand for one of the games, you wouldn't be terribly surprised because there's, there's talk of Ross Minotti reaching that level at this stage and then the uh, the back line is, is stacked. It's Jameson Gibson mm. Park, Ireland number nine, Johnny Sexton, Ireland captain, James Lowe in the form of his life on one wing, Jimmy O'Brien who's on the verge of an Ireland captain feels like, Hugh O'Keelan who's nailed on and then it's a Lions partnership, it should have been, of uh, Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose. It would be if the Lions were being picked right now. Like this is as good, this is as, good as Ireland at the moment. It, it feels like the fullest of full decks to be choosing from and um, you look at that team and you go wow um how could you possibly improve it you, you may be with the exception of a um a ross maloney is he you know it, you know at the start of the season if you said ross maloney is going to be in european team you'd be a bit nervous around it you'd be thinking oh 
I don't know, but he has been outstanding. And I think on form, he's been, you know, he's been the mainstay. He's been played in all five games or six games so far. He um, He's keeping Ryan Baird, who now I think is back fit again, out of the 23. It does feel inevitable that he will get a cap and will travel down to uh, New Zealand. I saw him you know, in the Irish Times today talking about how you know he has aspirations, of course, to be an Ireland international, and it's taken a while for him to get into the into the national setup and the national national reckoning. So you know where you might have thought you know six or eight months ago that that is the one weakness in that Leinster team. It doesn't feel like that anymore. And then you look at the bench and. You know, internationals to call off, you know, players like Reese Ruddock, um, who's, I don't know, has he played nearly 200 games for, for Leinster, Luke McGrath, you know, Tommy O'Brien even, you know, to come on and, and he's been very good anytime he's played. I just think it's a really, really impressive Leinster team. It's hard not as an ex-Leinster player not to get excited by this, because by the, the quality of the team. Um, great individuals great team but they're also playing such an exciting style that it, they do make you sit at the edge of your seat and, and see what's coming next the one the one slight caveat in all this is that they haven't played together that recently it's a couple of weeks ago since they played a, a high end match but does that matter when you're talking about some of these players who have you know between 50 and 100 caps is it important that they play week on week on week or do we overrate that from the outside a bit yeah like well look at what happened in December was it where they obviously had their game cancelled against Montpellier and then subsequent games and they had four weeks of just training and sure Lancaster talked during the week about how that didn't inhibit them in fact I talked to a couple of the players and they mentioned how it actually added to their performance it was like a, a mid-season pre-season um, where they could just regroup and pull all, all of the, you know, the detail around what they're trying to do, what they're trying to achieve, really focus on themselves, not have to worry about opposition so much, um, and just get themselves going. And it's, it, it feels like it's a bit of a change in mentality that there's such a focus on themselves. It's a real throwback to how we used to perceive the All Blacks to be, where they just thought, irrespective of what opposition are coming at us, if we do what we can do as best we can, no one can live with us. And there's an there's an air of that. I'm not saying, I'm not comparing the teams, but there is a comparison of what appears to be that mindset that they're very focused on themselves. They give due respect to the opposition and analyze them and watch what's coming at them. But they definitely feel as though they can create lots and lots of try scoring opportunities. And if they can convert some of them, then it's just about relying on their defence not to concede 20 or 25 points, have good discipline. And, and all of a sudden, you add those two components together, it makes you very, very difficult to beat. Do you feel like that's a subtle change that's happened this season from the last couple of seasons? And is it in any way connected to how those seasons ended in Europe where a big beast, literally and metaphorically, managed to kind of squash Leinster, whereas actually not, not constantly thinking about how that might happen, the, the games against Saracens and La Rochelle? I think we have, we still can't get away from the fact that the reality is with Saracens and La Rochelle that, you know, Leinster came off second best because there were teams that stood up to them. And I think they're going to get a sense of that for the first time properly this year. You might have thought, oh, Montpellier might have been that team. You know, obviously we didn't get to see them, particularly in Montpellier where they play their first team. So we, we, we you know, didn't really know what was, um, you know, 
what this Leinster team was about because they haven't had that same level of, of opposition as as those knockout stages in, in previous years. So it does feel as though this is kind of, this is a different grade up on what they've encountered so far. Even down in South Africa, um, you know, the, the South African teams have been very good at home, but very poor on the road. Whereas I think you'll see European sides getting to semi-finals, irrespective of where they're held, the, the, the cream rises to the top and you you will get really tough, hard, uncompromising physical teams um, at that stage. And Leicester will have to continue to prove themselves. You know, they haven't won anything for a few years now and probably by lots of people's admission underachieved that their last European victory was four years ago. So it does feel as though they have to get it done this year, but they're going to have to do it in a difficult way against a very, very impressive lesser team this year that you know, know what way to win games and what style is suiting them. We should talk a bit about that. And, and um, a lot of uh, casual Irish rugby fans don't pay as much attention to the games in England maybe as we should but certainly if you talked about Leicester over the last four or five years you would definitely be assuming it's going to be a double digit victory for most of the Irish teams because they've been a a bit of a shambles and then all of a sudden Steve Borthwick comes in and it's almost like he has somehow teleported them back to the era of uh, Neil Back and um, Martin Johnson how the hell did he do it so quickly? Uh, it's always the case with any successful team when there's a change in management. You know, the, the, the previous coach, and not just because he's an old teammate of mine, but you'd have to imagine that some of the structures and the things that were implemented under Jordan Murphy, he didn't, wasn't able to hang around long enough for them to come to fruition. It's rare enough that a coach is just able to come in and, and turn things around from being an also-ran team to all of a sudden a potential contender for Europe and for, for the Premiership having you know, been very, very disappointing for for almost a decade. Um, So, you know, credit where credit is due, that is always the case. No different than with Ireland and under Eddie O'Sullivan when we managed to win the Grand Slam and Declan Kidney would have paid tribute to the work that Eddie had done prior to, you know, to him coming in. It's very often the case. And so Borthwick has taken the best of what has been um, built out from a foundation point of view and He's um, he's built on top his phenomenal work rate, his attention to detail. He's brought in Kevin Sinfield. Um, he's made them defensively strong. He's found a way, you know, through very statistically based um, around, you know, um, the way they want to play the game. Um, personnel who's good in their environment, who's not. There's grading systems that you can, you know, use up, um, you know, um, statistic companies are now where they're able to qualify who has been good for you over the course of the season or, or a couple of seasons and not and who's worth their money and it's so sophisticated now that he's taking all of this data and found a way to make them a winning team or put themselves in a position to win games in the last five and ten minutes of games which is all you can ask for so it's a, a cultural shift and kind of a building on whatever foundations were there in terms of the style of play is it, is it good to watch have they been innovative and creative or is it okay we are- there's a couple of parts to that like they kick the leather off the ball right and they've got one of the best kickers in the game in george ford at 10. so much of what they do i think in the in the competition um I think they're the top team that plays off 10 across all 
uh, Champions Cup teams. So it just show, shows how much of a focal point George Ford is. But there's a really unusual stat that I saw in, our, in, a, in a pack that was sent this week is that he kicks the, mo- the ball more than he passes. Now that is so unusual that he you know kicks over you know, nearly 50% of his possession away. They don't play any rugby in their own half. So you would the impression would be that they play pretty lousy rugby. However, they um, they've scored a good few tries off set phase, so uh, off first phase. So on their launch plays, they're really trying to have a go. So they have a creative aspect to them as well of being able to, you know, work out defensive systems and and try and counter them with some you know really quality players too. So um, I think there's there's two parts to them defensively. You know, very solid, happy to play kick tennis, and I think that's where Leinster have to play smart. Not many teams win the, the kick tennis game against them. So Leinster are going to have to play a possession-based game, um, kind of control the ball and make sure they look after when they're in possession and then starve Leicester of possession and frustrate them because they will offer it away to you. They will kick and get good kick chase, but they expect you to kick it back and they will bide their time for the, for the right opportunity where it's a loose kick and then they counter or they win that kick tennis duel and they work on the territory and then squeeze pressure. So there's a couple of different components to this Leicester team, some that you would kind of roll your eyes because of how often they kick it away, but then some you would kind of clasp your hands and really enjoy too. So what's the answer from a Leicester perspective when they are kicking the ball? Just don't kick it back to them or try not to kick it back to them as often as possible? Or kick to compete. You know, don't just get into that kick duel. Um, I think... You know, I wondered this week was there a lot of um, you know ball in 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 the air uh, practice from the wingers and fullbacks. Um, you know, both on their own ball, but also on the opposition ball. I think in Freddie Stewart, they've got one of the best fullbacks or wingers, depending on where they play them in the air. So they they're going to uh, they're going to use him as much as they possibly can, depending on who plays at nine as well. All very good box kickers too, so they they know how to play to their strengths. But Leinster just need to make sure they they play their game, they hold on to possession, but they don't overplay their hand as well. That when Leicester you know stick three in the backfield, that they put, that they play with ball in hand, and when Leicester play with their wingers high and minimal numbers in the backfield, that they're not afraid to kick it. To kick to contest but also kick for territory so you know with this Leinster team and and you know subsequently with the Irish team a lot has been passed over to them they've been given a, sh- a shape and a structure but to see and read what's unfolding in front of them and they've got the personnel to be able to do that so it's um it'll be it'll be interesting whether they get caught in that Leicester duel like lots of teams do where they just don't want they think Leicester don't want to play in their territory, so let's do the same. Let's not play in ours. And eventually you do lose that kicking battle more often than not to the likes of George Ford and Wigglesworth or Youngs or Van Portlees or whoever plays at nine. Um, Chris Ashton did a bit of punditry when he was at, at Harlequins uh, about James Lowe. And it was relatively subtle. It was, it was you know... Um, but there was also a few lines in it which have managed to resurface this week about him being too heavy and too slow to be an international winger. And he qualified it later on by saying he's a great player. I'd use him as a centre personally. You know, he's been part of championship teams. He's clearly a very special player, blah, 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 blah. But the bits that we've picked out this week and that have been um, reminded to James Lowe about him being too heavy and too slow are, are there. 
it's a you know just a nice little bit of spice. Does it matter at all? Is it something that James Lowe? Yeah, when? of course, of course it matters. You know, you know, is James? Are we the ones aware of it? Is James Lowe aware of it? I'm not sure, but if he hears of it, and certainly judging on what James Lowe has picked up from the media in the <laughs> past, he's taken it to heart. So you know, I think that absolutely will. Um, potentially bode negatively for Chris Ashton. There'll be an extra bit of spice in the carry from James Lowe. I think he won't be trying to use, you know, too much footwork. If he gets a one-on-one opportunity, he'll just show his raw strength. And, his, and you know, players over over their whole career, many players play with a chip on their shoulder about those that are trying to knock them, the, the doubters. And they use that as fuel for fire rather than sometimes often the upside to people lauding them, thinking how great they are. They actually need to find, use that negativity that they get from certain sources that, you know, you're not all that everyone makes you out to be. And and so you're constantly trying to get everyone on side. You're trying to constantly prove yourself, even though the masses might think you're you know, doing great stuff. It's sometimes the minority that actually provide the substance for you to improve your performance. And I think James Lowe like many players will, if he sees those comments and he gets an opportunity against Chris Ashton, he'll try and ram those comments down his throat. Uh, Leinster do need a little bit of that chippiness just to make sure that um, they don't... Because the, the season has been very straightforward for them with the exception, obviously, of the the shit show around the um, the game against Montpellier and them getting zero points and everybody else getting, you know, a fair crack of the whip. Uh that aside, there hasn't been much for them to get worked up from when it comes to that. Um, there was some negativity around the B team they sent down to South Africa and then they nearly won the first game and they got a losing bonus point with the second game and you're like, well, that, that kind of showed you lads. So where does that motivation come from? Is it the fact that they have, by their own standards, underachieved? And you said they have to win it this year. They must feel that they have to win it this year. What's the psychology around that that they're looking to kind of tap into? I think it's a really dangerous place when you've had it as easy as they've had it this season. And they'll say it hasn't been easy, but from what we've watched, there hasn't been anyone that's really put it up to them. Sorry, the first team in particular. And credit to that side that went down to South Africa that picked up two losing bonus points. I think if they had been offered that before they went down, they'd have bitten their hand off with the side that they sent down that are building, getting, you know, experience. And, you know, some guys that we barely heard of getting, you know, lots of game time. So that does augur well for the future, having a squad that's capable of going and doing that. But I, I always feel a little bit nervous when when everyone is telling you how wonderfully you're doing and yet you haven't come up against the opposition that you might have anticipated earlier on in the season and then sometimes you just get shocked by that team that comes along and goes, oh no, this is actually the standard you need to be at to be winning Europe. And so I I do think they will get that this weekend. Um, but they've got enough experience as well within this team to know that they, they can't expect to operate against better opposition at you know seventy five or eighty percent as they often do in the URC to coast through games, you know to score try bonuses you know seamlessly. I think that they will realise that this is a real European game against you know uh, uh, one of the Galacticos that have been dormant for a long time but ultimately are back in the mix now. So um, yeah, it's it's um, it's a it's an enthralling game and it's. You know how it teases out will be will be very um, evident to how the you know how the competition then transpires for whoever team qualifies because it'll be Leicester in will remain I think in 
in Welford Road, won't they? Yeah, if they win, which they'll fancy their chances, or certainly in the UK. And then, you know, Leinster will be back in Ireland, um, irrespective of, of what comes um, in the Munster-Toulouse game, where they'll absolutely back themselves. So this feels like it's, you know, the, the, whoever wins this one could, could definitely get themselves into a final. Not easily, but they'll definitely fancy their chances. Uh, you mentioned Tommy O'Brien is on the bench for Leinster. Um, sorry, uh, Joe McCarthy, rather, is on the bench for um, Leinster as the, the second row sub. Um, he's making his European debut. And Tommy O'Brien also going to make his European debut if he comes off the bench. Um, is there any part, and so Ryan Baird obviously isn't in the, the 23, is there any part of the Leinster Brains Trust that's wondering why they've signed a South African second row next season or why anybody in the RFU is like, maybe we should just let Jason Jenkins go and let these lads nail down their positions. If, if Maloney's on the verge of uh, playing for Ireland or is it just good business to have an extra body there over the course of the season? Well, the issue is, if you, you talk about all of these guys as potential Irish second rows, so they're going to be gone at certain periods or they're not going to be available. So, you know, that strength and depth is vitally important. It's, yeah, it, it feels a little bit like um, buses at the moment where you feel very light at certain times of the season with a few injuries and then you sign someone because it gives you a bit of security and then all of a sudden you have the emergence of Maloney playing the best rugby of his career. McCarthy, who I know they are incredibly excited about. I think they think that this guy is going to be the real, real deal to match James Ryan in what he's managed to achieve in his in his young career. Um, from the from the outset, a real enforcer, someone that that you know Leinster maybe um, have perceived to, be, to have missed out on in the last you know few years. Where I think. Uh, James Ryan is a real workhorse, but does he have that really super nasty edge that maybe you had in a Sean O'Brien in the past or, you know, uh, Brad Thorne or Nathan Hines? And I think Leinster have always done well with that individual. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to see what comes of this guy when he does eventually get his European cap. I haven't seen a lot of him. But um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that now they've got the unenviable, well, the enviable task, I should say, of trying to keep all of these players happy and giving them enough game time to keep them at the club. But the best way of keeping players at, at a club is winning silverware because the last thing you want to do is leave a, a winning environment. I suppose the counter argument as well is that James Ryan is literally just back from injury. Ryan Baird is also literally just back from injury. And if they weren't available, then all of a sudden you're looking pretty light where you've got... Uh, Ross Maloney and Joe McCarthy playing and somebody else uh, coming through to play sub second row and maybe maybe Devin Toner at the very end of his The other thing well. on that jo- jo- sorry Joe jo- 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 Josh Mur- Murphy has been one of Leinster's outstanding performers as well like he could have been man of, ma- man of the match in that um, that uh, last game uh, against Connacht in the Aviva I thought he was outstanding um, I think Connacht have got a really good signing in him where again really tough physical maybe just lacks a little bit of of kind of X factor that elevates him to that next level um, of kind of getting to be a proper international second row. But he's a guy that certainly won't let you down. I think you need your best players back for knockout rugby. You need the James Ryans. You need guys that have been there before and that have comfort in in any circumstance that won't get flustered and um, to kind of help guide anyone that might get a bit jittery or you know if things start going against you just one or two calm words or you know reassuring thoughts or a bit of guidance in the way they play and take on the opposition themselves so 
it's fine playing knockout or, or, or group stage rugby with guys, you know, your 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 big second rowers on the injury list, but you, you gotta have the um the best players to play against the toughest opposition, particularly away from home. All right. Rugby and off the ball is with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Let's talk about um uh Munster then. This is a moment for them to actually go. No, no, we had a plan the whole time, and now that we're leaving, we're leaving with uh, we're leaving with our heads held high because uh, actually we've you know we've just knocked the European champions out in front of a hopefully a heaving of Eva with a good atmosphere, um, or it goes you know badly wrong for them and everybody goes well sure look that's the end of that. Uh, either either of these are realistic outcomes at the moment. It feels. Yeah, I just don't see it going badly. I just feels as though they. Um they're a team that have, have always in the past done well on riding the crest of a wave and it feels like they're on a mini wave at the moment um, what I've been most impressed with how is is their defensive game and how well organised they are and how hard how much harder it, it appears to break them down these days um, they're, they know when to attack the rook they know when to commit bodies they know you know no you know no no players lying on the ground set lots of second efforts good control in the backfield from Haley I think he gives them huge security able to play their wingers uh, high I know Conway's back fit again so I, I I just think that they're in you know structurally in a really good place and now there's a bit of confidence in the way they've been getting some go forward against you know a previous European winner in in Exeter um and and now you're know, particularly playing with that little bit of a chip on their shoulder losing to Toulouse in Thoma Park last year in front of a an empty ground um they'll they'll feel inspired by the fact that ticket sales are good and that they need to give their crowd something to cheer about on on Saturday afternoon so i, I fancy Munster i know Toulouse have great x factor but i just think there's you know the this Munster team feel as though they're on the cusp of the next level. I'm not saying that it's winning the Champions uh, Cup yet, but it feels like they they might just edge this one. Um, that would be a, a, a really seismic moment for them and it would, I think, make everybody start to believe that they're trending in the right direction because it was definitely one of those seasons that could have gone either way when they had a slew of injuries and the performances were so bereft of any excitement or it looked like a pattern. So what's the turnaround down to? Is it is it literally that they've got their best players back playing and a bit of fitness and all of a sudden we see what they were trying to achieve? Yeah, I think you've you've got to tap into the psycho- psychology of the game as well. I think you you know the dip in form came immediately after the news that Johan van Graan was upping sticks and heading away. Um, it um, yeah, I think there was kind of it, it, you know I think I mentioned at the time it's much easier when you know you're the boyfriend or girlfriend that breaks up, but when you're broken up with, it feels it. it it, it hurts you and you go well what's wrong with me what why 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 are you why are you making the decision why are you getting the call what what is it that i'm lacking that you know you're looking for elsewhere and so that kind of impacts you initially and then you know counter that with a few weeks ago where they you know decided that graham rentree was their guy they obviously w- would have known you know, long before anybody else that the likes of, you know, Prendergast was going to come back to talk. I don't know if is, if Leamy is announced yet or not. Um, but but these guys are back um, in the mix, proper monster men, built around a Leicester man that is 
that is very Munster inclined. So it feels like the feel good factor that is coming from those announcements, they're they're thriving on that as well. So as much as sometimes the negative hurts you, the positive gives you an uplift as well and that you just have to stay on that course as long as you can. We were talking to Keith Wood during the week and he was making the point that the South African style has not really suited Munster that it on the face of it, you might think it would. It's like uh, get the big men, kick the kick the ladder off the ball from ten, and um, be very aggressive in defence. But for whatever reason, the the it hasn't chimed with the monster fans, the supporters, and the players. And and maybe rugby just moved on to the point where that's not what any team should be trying to do as a club team. So he was saying that he thinks that um, if they're going to add anybody else, that it would be great to have somebody from New Zealand in there as a skills coach or, you know, to round out the, the team at the moment. Is, is that important? Is, there, is it important to have that kind of external worldview who is bringing the best thinking from abroad into the change room and going, actually, this is what we're doing at the moment. These are the things we've experienced. They will have a little bit of that with the centre they've signed, obviously, who's um, an ex-All Black but in the coaching staff, is it important just to have another external voice going, have you thought about this? Sometimes I wouldn't necessarily say that it has to be from New Zealand. I think some of the Australians are the best thinkers out, uh, out there. And um, I guess we that's why we were a bit surprised with the style of rugby that, and, and why it took so long to get going is because as a player, Stephen Larkham was such a heads up um, out half. You know, he, he was so fluid, so comfortable with ball in hand, such a great passer of the ball, great guy at staying square and running a back line. And he had some phenomenal athletes around him when he was playing. Um, but that that kind of allowed him to really excel and, and, and I suppose provided space for him as an individual. But sometimes that doesn't always immediately um, work out from a coaching point of view. Um, um, so I, I guess they've identified the need to play a different brand that they don't have the forward pack um, that they once had to dominate every team in Europe. They can't play on that style. They don't have the front rowers. They you know, second row, you know, Tyke Burns obviously been a revelation, but John Klein, a bit of a disappointment, if I'm perfectly honest, over the course of the last number of years. He hasn't quite transpired to be the player they thought he might be. Got some of the young blood coming through, literally, you know, in the second row as well, Ahern, exciting guys for the future, but they're not quite there yet. So it does feel like they, they've realised that they're going to have to play an evolutionary game rather than you know playing uh, South African type that it's just they're just not they don't have the athletes they don't have the personnel to play that brand they've also seen the light as well the success of Ireland and the way that they've managed and navigated their way around the international game of not maybe having the biggest athletes but yet if they can have very high skill levels well they will be able to cause problems for any opposition any organised defence and so when you see that happening via Leinster via Ireland it's very hard for you to go back to your province and play a game that doesn't excite you quite the same way as you did for six or seven weeks in camp so I think there's a number of factors have made them change their game and and also a culmination in their game plan that maybe they've been trying to build for a number of years finally kicking in and um, all that with less injuries a little bit more luck and all of a sudden you got yourself a chance of winning a quarter final against the the um 
you know, the holders, but that's all it is. It's a chance. Um, after this one, there's two more to lift the trophy and we know that it gets tougher with every round. It's not a bad scenario for Roundtree to be in where the mood music is improving, the arrows pointing up, the talent pool seems decent, the returning uh, Munster emigres, that's a good thing. Like it, You can see how the spin next season is going to be good. You can see how when they're sending out the emails for the season tickets, it will actually be genuinely full of excitement. Absolutely. It does feel as though things are beginning to change. And I think lots of people felt as though it wasn't quite right with Van Graan. You know, it, I think I was one. And um, and even though, you know, if he can win some silverware, he'll leave an eye and he'll you know, leave with reputation intact. In I think they never properly got him as a person. And I think... Um, you know, you need someone that clearly is in passion. Um, we saw that at halftime from Rantree, who was the voice against Exeter over in Sandy Park in the first round of the last 16. He was the one that um, the pictures were, were showing was kind of um, motivating, speaking passionately to the team, trying to get them to change some of the things that had gone wrong in the first half. So that's what Munster supporters associate themselves with. They that, that they play on passion, but then you obviously, on top of that, you layer in skill, you layer game plan, you, you layer strategy, you layer defense, but that's got to be the very essence of who you are. And when your head coach probably lacks a little bit of that in his post-match and pre-match um, words, it's very hard to feel very excited and stimulated by you know what's coming in that 80 minutes. Um, that that coaching ticket, are you excited by it? it? Like Prendergast has put together a good CV. We don't know exactly. It's always hard to tell how much responsibility an individual has when a team plays really well, when they've got great players. So it'll be interesting to see how quickly he can build on whatever's happening at, at, um, at Munster. But is it a good coaching ticket, do you think, for next season? I think it has the, certainly the makings of a, of a very good one. Um, Prendergast has been quietly going about his business. You know, everyone's talked about how impressed they've been with Raj going off to Racing, to New Zealand, back to La Rochelle. Well, no differently, um, Prendergast has, has gone over um, and he's done eight or nine seasons in France. It's not an easy thing to do, to go and learn a different language, to jump around different clubs. And for a quality team like Racing to come looking for his services just shows what uh, he's capable of of delivering. He's been playing with, he, he's been able to work with some great athletes, but he's got them playing a great brand. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for him and for Munster to see what he's able to to bring back with him, the, the wealth of knowledge that he has developed over the course of that period of time. Time. And you often do need to go away to come back to um, to give a kind of more holistic view rather than just a kind of monster mainstream view as to how you play the game. That you're able to look at you know, different varieties of how games can be won, lost, and how you can manipulate teams. And I think he's he's gone and, and done that in a really smart way. So I think he's a great signing. Um, I think. I don't know much about Dennis Leamy, the coach, but I was a huge Dennis Leamy um, fan as a as a player. So if he comes in from a defensive point point of view, um, I think that'll be a great signing. He's monstered through and through. That felt something a little bit weird about having Leamy up in Leinster. I have to be honest, albeit you know he's another great Irish coach, and you were trying to develop Irish coaches. It didn't feel because he was such a monster man. It didn't feel like a natural fit. Whereas him going back to where, um, you know, where he's 
uh, you know, where he's made his name, where he's developed himself and where he feels most at home would be perfect. And I, and I think that, I don't know, is that a done deal yet? It certainly um, sounds like it, yeah. Speculating, yeah, yeah. it does. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great signing. And then if they can add one more to, um, you know, to to that setup, be it, um, you know, bring someone up from the academy or bring in, you know, someone else that again will fit that mold. The thing about all that personnel so far that I mentioned, those three, they all fit into the ethos of what Munster is about. They will get the people and you've got to understand the people. You know, even Rob Penny, when he came in, you know, the ethos of how the, of the quality of the players, the type of game that they played, he just tried to play that Crusaders brand that he didn't have the personnel for it. You've got to know at the core of it what they're good at, what they, what gets the crowd going, what, um, you know, what the minimum requirement is, and then you can, as I said, you can layer on top of that. Uh, at Leinster, is it confirmed about Felipe going to Argentina? There certainly was a lot of strong speculation. Yeah, I don't know if it's confirmed, but you know, certainly that's what that's what I've heard. Um, and um, yeah, he would be he would of course be a, a big loss. I think this coaching ticket has done very well. Um, Sorry, Leinster have done very well to hold his coaching ticket together for a number of years, but I'm sure Felipe would would feel very important for him to head off on the back of um, of a of a European um, success. I'm not sure was he around in 2018? Is he around that long? I think um, post for, that. Yeah, so he you know he obviously didn't manage to win or certainly play in one of your, Leinster's European victories. So I think it would be very important for him to be a coach in 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 one. Um, and yeah, then you've got to look if, if if and when he does go, who's going to be the obvious replacement to come in there and and do a you know a cutting edge job as well. Um, you know, they won't have, um, or sorry, they'll have you know some brilliant footballers to work with. So someone to facilitate the quality of that level of player is what you're looking for, rather than someone to come in and rule the roost. Yeah, he joined this summer of um, 2018, just after they'd won. So yeah, yeah. Um, and will they be able to keep Lancaster and Leo Cullen together for much longer? Do you think? Stuart, you know, any interview that I've I've heard him talking, you know, a lot of it has been around why would I leave here? You know, I'm playing and I'm playing, uh, I'm sorry, getting to coach some of the best players in Europe and they've been consistently very good. Obviously won the URC the last four years on the bounce. So, um, I'm consistently getting to semifinals and finals and they, you know, he has won at once in his term there, but it, it feels inevitable that of course, at some stage he's going to want to go elsewhere. There was talk of Leo Cullen up to uh, Mick Dawson's job as CEO and potential for Lancaster to take over. Maybe that's the perfect fit. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I, I think he will look for a head coaching role. But I think what's going to be really important to Stuart is that he maintains that ability to coach. He doesn't want to be a director of rugby, I don't think. I think he wants to be a head coach where he gets to be out on the park every day that he is passing on his knowledge rather than you know talking in team meetings and selection meetings with other coaches that's not his bag i think that's what he missed with the english job was all of the other clutter around being head coach of england and uh, it felt a bit more director of rugby rugby 
where he has to take a step away from the on-field stuff and I, I think that's where he's at his best. I actually hadn't heard the speculation about Leo Cullen taking the chief executive Yeah, job. there was talk of that. There was talk of that now. I think there's a there's a process going on at the moment and um, I believe Bob Casey who's with Corn Ferry is um is in the process of of putting together some um some candidates. It would be very interesting if his old mate, one of his very good pals, Leo Cullen, was one of the ones that would was up for that. I, I, that's just what I heard speculation wise. I haven't spoken to Leo about it, but there's been lots of mutterings around that being a possibility amongst other names within the Leinster um environment as well. I think you know I'm sure someone like Guy used to be would probably. Um, love that opportunity of having a go at at, um, at Leinster CEO as well. He's done a great body of work in his role, but now the next iteration is probably you know to be elevated to CEO. Right, that would be that would definitely be interesting. And if it's a way of keeping everybody in the system and everybody happy at some level, you know, it's literally one of the most successful sports organisations the country's ever seen. Um, you'd be very- it is, but you know what, you, you know you obviously have to have the know-how you're going to know the club and it took Mick Dawson probably a few years to fully understand that and we developed as a club you know not without our errors along the way on field and off field but you know Mick had a great network as well um, and an ability probably to be able to call on advice from close confidants that would have been quite successful in their own field Um, so I, I think it's important that whoever does come in has the ability to to lean on people as well and not have all the answers necessarily themselves. Yeah, fair enough. All right, always good stuff. Brian, uh, your predictions are that Munster are going to squeak it. Is that what I'm hearing? I, I'm going to go with both. Yeah, I am. I am. I'm going to go with um, with, with um, Munster to squeeze by Leinster um, yeah, in a, in a tough game. All the stats will tell you that it'll go to the wire with uh, with Leicester, uh, particularly in... in um, We've been scored for not calling it Matoli Woods, um, Welford Road. So, yeah, that nice one that just rolls off the tongue. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to be a close one. My fancy Leinster will still get that one done in a tight affair too. So two close Irish victories. All right, Brian, good stuff. Rugby on Off the Ball is with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Brian O'Driscoll on Off the Ball with Vodafone.